All right. Today on the podcast, um, I have a friend of mine um, who is the English ministry pastor at Valley of Grace Church in Fresno, California. Um, John, welcome to the show today, man. Thanks, Dennis. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thanks. Um, I had an opportunity to get to know John um, this past year. I um, He invited me to, to guest speak for his church, and we had some good conversations. And um, I really appreciate some of the conversations that we had. We had some areas of disagreement, and um, obviously we have lots of areas of agreement. And um, that's kind of one of the reasons why I asked him to come on today is because um, I actually think it's really healthy for um, Christians to see leaders that they love and they respect um, having honest conversations with, with, on, with one another where there's aspects of disagreement. And I expect that we're going to run into both um, aspects of great agreement and some disagreement today. And um, I'm actually looking forward to that. And I just want to say to you, John, up front, I am, you know, my values, I want to know the truth, right? The truth is the most important thing. And all of us, you know, are ignorant and um, dumb in some areas and wrong in some areas. And so I just want you to know I'm open to learning from you. And mostly I just want the Lord to guide our conversation and to lead us into greater truth. Sound good, man? Sounds good, brother. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Well, I wanted to um, start off because I know that this has been on your heart. And this is the the question of Christian unity, of Christian unity. And, um, you know, we have a brand new president. And um, I don't know if your Facebook wall has been like mine, but there's been a lot of anger and vitriol and all of, you know, just craziness all over social media for really the past month, I would say. It's been pretty crazy. And I know that that has been grieving your heart. So I wanted to ask you kind of an open-ended question here as we start off. Like, um, in what ways should we really value and fight for Christian unity? And in what ways, like, when is it right to divide from one another? Because I think both of those are, are important when we talk about Christian unity. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And really, I, I, I feel for, for the church and for Christians, it's the question of our time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, when I look at scripture, uh, the last prayer of Jesus in John 17 was for the unity of the church. Right. If I look at the, the New Testament epistles, especially Paul, I would say his, his top three concern was for the unity of the body of Christ, right? Uh, Greeks and Jews, you know, they didn't really get along. And so he fought for that, for their unity. And, and just the, the, what I grieve um, in, in America and the church uh, is we, we become divided over things that are important, very, very important, but it should not tear us apart. And I see that these days, that there's such a division. And w- when I see division in, in the world, right, it doesn't surprise me, right? I mean, the Bible talks about the world would be like the world, but the church should be different. Right. And, and John 13, just said, Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Right. So, it, you know, in other words, our biblical witness of the gospel is the love and unity we have. And right. so if we're acting like the world and dividing over whatever issues are, we're actually losing the battle of being a witness. And so this is I, I feel really strongly about this. That And it is not talked about enough, but I think we're seeing some of the, the cracks in the foundation and that we, our allegiance has been on other things besides Christ. 
And, um, you know, there's, there's good and bad in that, but I think we need to really talk about it. Yeah, let's go into that a little bit, because there's a couple things that you bring up there that I think are actually really interesting to talk about. But let's start with this idea of, you know, allegiance to things other than Christ. Kind of where do you where do you see this happening? I, I think a helpful place to start is looking at church history, right? Because uh, a lot of times we have this recency bias. This is, a, this is a new issue of church division. And it's not right. Um, this right. week, I, I was just kind of researching because I'm actually talking about unity. Uh, a church. So my, um, I guess my focus is always speaking to the church, not to the world, right? Um, and if you look at the, the the history of the early church, where there's uh, Augustine, uh, Tertullian, and Cyprian, they had deep divisions over um, priests and Christians who gave into either idolatry or the worship of the Caesars uh, or, or even apostasy, and then they wanted those who fell to that wanted to come back to the church. And there was a division between Christians that said, no, they, they should not belong to the church anymore. You know, they, they fell to idolatry. There's others that said, no, unity is important and there's forgiveness to be had. And people like Augustine, people like Tertullian, they argued always for unity, right? This was like the council in Carthage. And I think that's, I think that's a really strong example and, um, for us to to model, right? That the, the our church forefathers fought for unity. And this is throughout history, right? We see in, in Acts 15, uh, when, when there's division between, uh, you know, between Paul and Peter, at the end of the day, they always fought for unity. So I think that needs to be the the, the theme, right? And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, disagree or we shouldn't talk about issues that are different. But it should be in the context of discipleship, relationship, and love, right? So if we have differences, let's work through it until we can come to some type of conflict resolution, right? But oftentimes, I feel like it's so easy to just separate and divide that you're not my brother in Christ, right? Our, our, even doctrinal issues, I believe, should come under the umbrella of Christian unity. Um, I, I know I didn't get to specifics, but I just wanted to set that preface. Sure. Because I think that's really, really important to look at the church history and then where we're at right now sure. in American church history. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, so given given this this understanding, I think we're both on the same page. Unity is important. It's clearly something that is emphasized. Jesus emphasized it. Paul emphasizes it. Mm-hmm. The scriptures emphasize this a lot. Um, so... Number one is when do we divide? Because the same, you know, the same Jesus and the same Paul, who, you know, at least in Paul's example, what we see is that Paul has pretty harsh words to say for some who call themselves followers of Jesus in his time, right? And so does Jude, and so does Peter, right? They, um, you know, some of the harshest portions of the New Testament are written against those who claim to be believers, of followers of Jesus. Um, but you know, would probably fall into this category of heretic is what they would they would um, consider them as. So, where where's that line today? Like, who are the Christians, those who would consider themselves Christians, that we need to draw a line and say, "Hey, no, I'm sorry, I cannot view you that way." That is a really difficult question because I, I agree. I mean, Jesus uh, spoke very harshly, especially to the Pharisees. Um, and the, the spiritual leaders, the shepherds uh, of his time, Paul did too, even to Peter, right? But I don't know if they necessarily wanted to separate, right? 
the, the people of God. I think that there's a place for rebuke and correction. But at the end of the day, if, I, I still believe, uh, and maybe you can come up, bring up some of some of the issues that you think could yeah. be could cause you know for for us to separate. Um, but still, I see uh, Pete, uh, especially. Okay, let's talk about Paul. Um, he separated from Barnabas, and I think even it was Mark, right, who deserted them. But at the end of his life, he he called for unity, right? He he's like, where where is John Mark, right? And I believe at the end, he regretted that separation. Um, and so, and, and even when, even when Jesus was really critical of of the Jewish leaders at the end of the day, he wanted the salvation of the Jews. He wanted them to, um, be part of God's people. And so, um, yeah, I, 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 I guess, let me bring up a couple examples. Cause I understand where you're coming from. Like in the, in the case of Barnabas and Paul, clearly that was not a, them considering each other's heretics. That was a, you know, that was a fight. They got in a they got in a fight um, over over Mark whether Mark should go with them, and um, that's that's a little bit different, right? We get in fights, we reconcile. That's a good mm-hmm. thing. Um, what I'm talking more about is, hey, um, this person is not a believer. It, this is a this is a false believer, and because they're bringing confusion to the body, we need to separate from them. So um, we see some very strong words from Paul in the book of Galatians, right? He's talking about those um, the Judaizers, right, who are teaching that Gentile believers need to get circumcised, Mm. right? And he has very harsh, strong words for them, right? He wishes, I wish that they would, I wish they would go the whole way and cut their whole things off, right? Is is what he says, right? And he says, those who have gone circumcised um, have fallen from grace, right? He speaks that, he speaks that out pretty strongly. Um, In 2 Peter chapter 2, right? Speaking of false teachers, right? These are those who, um, they practice immorality, they practice sin, and they encourage others to practice sin. And very, very harsh words for them, right? Saying that if they once, you know, if they had come to the knowledge of Jesus and then had gone back into their old ways, they're worse off than they were, and it would have been better for them to never known the way of truth, is the way that Peter puts it, right? And in that same passage, he's quoting a lot from the book of Jude, right? Speaking of these same types of false teachers Right. And um, and it, it, it speaks about them very in con and condemning language. Right. So a, a, another super clear example is First Corinthians chapter five. This is the, the chapter where um, there's a believer in the Corinthian church who is sleeping with his mother in law. And from the context, it appears that the church leaders are proud that they're showing such mercy and grace to this believer. Right. They're like, hey, we're being gracious with them. And Paul comes back and he rebukes them. And he says, you know, this you should not be proud of this. You should be ashamed of this. Right? You should have put this person out of fellowship. And he goes on to say that, um, you know, anyone who is sexually immoral or an idolater, right, if they claim to be a believer, you you are to put those people out of your fellowship. You are not to fellowship with them, right? Expel the immoral person from among you, right? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. So that's why I'm asking, where do we draw this line? Because I think this is yeah. this is very relevant today. Yeah. Look, I saw a poll recently that said, you know, 70% of Americans are Christians or claim to be Christian in some way. We all know that's not true. Okay, so how do we make a distinction there? Yeah, no, I appreciate all those, um, all the scripture that you brought up. And... Um, I would say in all those cases, um, especially when it comes to like even like excommunication of the church, right? So, so you cited examples where 
the, the church is actually allowed to kick out people from the from the church. But I believe that the 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 thrust of it was to preserve unity of the body, right. preserve unity uh, of 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 sound doctrine, right? right? And even even when they're excommunicated, they were hoping that I think it's something like when they are in the hands of the devil, they will repent and come back, right? They were wishing and hoping for repentance. I would say if 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 there was a case for us to separate, um, especially if it's a false teacher, false prophet, it's if they're unrepentant from sin. Now the the, the difficulty is uh, discerning, discerning um, what, especially in this kind of um, fake news uh, spirit of deception in Asia we live in, right? What is truth? Defining what is true, and what is sin. And who who is on, on, on the other side, who's on our side, who's the other, who's in, right? So I, unless we get into specific issues, right? Mm-hmm. So specific issues, it's really difficult to to kind of discern and talk about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to do that. Like, so I, I appreciate, I think I agree with you, right? I think the idea of someone who practices sin, right, is unrepentant about it and continually does it. I think that is the core issue, right? And yes, we can talk about the specific sins, um, but you know, I just bring it up because look, I've talked to a number of pastors, and I I run into very few who are serious about some of these verses, right? In terms of expelling the immoral uh, the immoral person, um, I feel like this almost never happens at churches. Um, in my last church, um, I had to have some talks with people, and. Um, yeah, other leaders in the church were were somewhat shocked by us, and I was like, "This is this is standard biblical discipline. This is the mm-hmm. church discipline that we're all supposed to be practicing." But it just seems, in my experience, that it doesn't get practiced very often. So, um, uh, one that I would say is the, the classic example, because you know, if we were working with young adults, is you have you have somebody who, um, you know, has a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they're living together, right? That to me is like no, you cannot claim to be a believer at that point, mm. right? No, you you this is clearly sinful, right? This is clearly sinful. You're not. It's not like you fell into it and you know you could just repent, right? You're living together, mm. right? That's that's to me where I would draw the line. Um, there there are a number of other places. Somebody who is openly homosexual, right? Like I have all the mercy in the world for somebody who is struggling with sin. All of us struggle with sin. Right. If you're struggling with with sinful desires, well, welcome to the club. That's that's all of us. Okay, we're all struggling with it, and all of us can fall into temptation sometimes. But that's different from me living in an unrepentant, openly sinful state and still cl- claiming to be a believer. Mm. Yeah, I, I think unrepentant sin is definitely um, serious. Right. Uh, I mean, biblically, it's it's all over. Um, and so it, like, like in those examples, if a pastor went to, you know, that young adult couple who's living together or somebody that's openly, you know, homosexual or living a, a gay lifestyle, um, I would say if, if, if they are, uh, confronted by the pastor, spiritual leader and they repent, then they have fellowship. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I don't think just because you're living in sin, you can immediately say you're not a believer, right? right. It's, it's how you respond. To the right. rebuke or the correction, right? right? But if they're continually rebelling against spiritual authority, against biblical teaching, then you you you, you would have to question: Is this a brother and sister in Christ? I would agree with that. Okay, yeah, I, I think we're we're on very similar pages here. Mm-hmm. So from from that understanding, my understanding of a false teacher is essentially the one who teaches the opposite of that, right? The one who teaches. 
that yes, you can practice sinful behavior and still be uh, a believer and Jesus loves you. And that's exactly what Jude talks about, right? The one who teaches grace as a license for sin, mm-hmm. right? Like it's okay, you can sin because Jesus already paid for it. It's all, it's, it's all good. Um, that is my understanding of a false teacher. And the reason why that is important is because it, it seems like there's a lot of people teaching that type of thing today. Okay, I don't want to, you know, yeah, make that too big, but I, you know, I've run into recently people that I would not have thought are are essentially teaching that, and and they are. Like I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it a good amount at this point. And so I simply say, when we're talking about Christian unity, that's that's kind of the issue for me, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, as we get into more um, political issues, I think um, the more you embrace um, this this kind of leftist worldview. And I I don't want to enter into a full discussion of this yet. I'm just kind of touching on this right now. But the more you enter into that, the more you start to think, well, somebody who is is gay is part of an oppressed people group, right? And aren't I being the oppressor then if I remove this person from fellowship? Something like that, right? And I've seen a lot of people go down that line of thinking where it started off where, hey, you know, we're, you know, we want to stand with, with the oppressed people groups in our society, to, you know, oh, we want to stand with the gay community because, you know, we love them. And all, this is all fine so far for me, right? I think you can do this with a, with a very biblical mindset. Hey, we want to love the, the oppressed peoples in, in various places. Hey, we want to stand in solidarity with them, meaning we love you. We support you as a person to now we're not, we're going to, you know, we don't believe in rebuking people for their sin now, right? Or, or calling for people to repent, Right or correcting people, it it seems like there's a progression there that I see pretty often, and so that's why I say I have a huge heart for Christian unity. But if you're fighting for unity, you're going to run into this kind of thing all the time, in my experience, especially these days. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you. I think, and if you look at Scripture, uh, teachers are held to a higher standard, and the Bible talks about you will have false prophets. Um, you, you will see sheep clothed in, in wolves, right? And we need to really be clear and strong against that. I think one of, one of the things that I, I've seen these days, it's uh, just the lack of accountability of leaders. Uh, even in, in, the, in the charismatic world, right? Uh, like fault, like prophecies that, or false prophecies, right? The Bible is very strong against false prophecy, right? It was it was stoning to death, right? I'm, I'm not saying that we should do that now, right? Christ said, uh, if you have no sin, throw the first stone, right? So I'm not, not nowhere near that. But where's the accountability, right? We've seen, um, I think I saw recently um, Jeremiah Johnson, right? He apologized for, for getting the, the, the prophecy about Trump being the next president. He apologized that I made a mistake. So did guys like Chris Volatin and others, right? And people within his own body, are, are giving death threats, right? So we see uh, there's, there's just this like implosion happening in, in, in the body of Christ, uh, where, where the allegiance is before Christ is like a, a political party or a political ideology. Um, and, and I guess you could say on the left too, right? When, um, when, when, when Trump was, was uh, elected president in, the, in, the, in, in 2016, Right, that the people that jump the bandwagon, he will never be my president. Right, that's unbiblical. Right, we were called to honor and pray for for our leaders, however you thought. Right, but kind of going going back to, um, 
I guess the, the issue of, of, of homosexuality and the church relationship with that community. I always, I always appreciated what I heard from one of my seminary professors and he's a pastor of New City Church in LA, uh, Kevin Ha. And um, they really believed in inclusion. They believed in um, really loving, loving everybody and that the church is not a gatekeeper, right? When it comes to worship. And um, he didn't mean for this to happen. But when he opened his doors, he said about a quarter of members that came when he, when he church planted, they were from the LGBTQ community, right? And he called it a, for him, he called it a discipleship issue. He's like, I'm not gonna stop you from coming to worship, right? We can have fellowship, but I will tell you what I believe from, from scripture, what I believe uh, marriage is between husband and wife, male and female, right? And so he continued to engage in, in discipleship in relationship. And, and I said over the years, a lot of them left because they couldn't convince him. And I think that's the right posture to be in, right? Jesus never stopped anybody from coming, coming to him, right? He was always the advocate for the prostitutes, uh, with tax collectors, with all sinners, right? Uh, if, you, if you could say anything, at this time, Jesus was a liberal. He was a rebel against the, the conservative authorities, right? And so uh, what it means for us to love uh, those who are outside of the church, whether that's homosexual or unbelievers, they're both living in sin, right? We want them to come in and we try to disciple them in love. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I have total agreement with that, right? Like, yeah, of course, if, if we can't, if we can't talk to, I mean, that I think Paul, that's the exact point that Paul makes, right? Like when he says, you know, don't fellowship with, you know, immoral people, he says, I don't, I'm not speaking about unbelievers, right? Then you'd have to get out of the world, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. of course. We, of course, we, we interact with unbelievers. But the issue is with those who claim to be believers. And, and the reason is because that causes mass confusion then. It causes mass confusion in the church because people don't know what it what the standards are right if yeah but that's a that's a tricky place to be because then we have to be we, we have to be in a place of judging is this a believer or not right and so there's 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 like a there's like a spectrum right of people that are back backsliding people that are unaware right I, I, like at a, another church uh, the pastor uh, this couple came in your prime example, they were living together, but they were not Christian, right? And so when they went through marital counsel, discipleship, what the pastor said, you guys stop living together and then we'll go through this. I'll marry you and you can be part of our church, right? So this, there, and, yeah. Or there might be the Christian that was saved at one point is backsliding and they're trying to come back, right? So the discernment of, of saying, is, is this a Christian or not? Is this a believer or not? Um, I think there has to be a level of humility there, right? Because... Uh, and even when it comes to like Christian leaders, right? Like how do, a lot of times we see a snapshot of their life, but we haven't seen the whole story or where they're going, right? And so I hesitate to quote unquote, throw the first stone uh, before a, a long period of, of discernment, uh, discipleship, of walking with that person. And if they're continually unrepentant, I guess at that point we'd have to have the discussion, but, um, Sometimes I feel like we're just too quick to throw the stone. Got it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying like as soon as somebody sins, you throw them out of the church, right? Um, but I am saying that a lot of times, um, as a leader, you could tell who is who's serious about their faith and who's not, right? And I think we need to, we need to make um, more of what I'm getting at is the idea of membership, something like that, mm. right? I'm not saying that we need to take polls of everybody who's sitting there on Sunday service, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think we do need to have a, a clear understanding of who is 
part of the church, who is a confessing believer in Christ, who's been baptized, right? My understanding of baptism is is that baptism is a vow, right? I think that's mm-hmm. that's a much better understanding. Baptism is a vow of fidelity to the Lord, right? Saying I'm 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 telling you that I've died to my own life, and now I'm living for you, mm-hmm. right? Now I'm living for you. And so that's that's the purpose of baptism is to distinguish between those who have made that commitment and the and then those who haven't, right? And those who haven't, of course they're welcome to come to our churches, right? And of course they're welcome to, you know, partake and to hear and to you know, all of that, right? But we should understand they're not they're not disciples of Christ. Mm-hmm. They're not followers of Christ at this point. Um, and they for sure can't be on like leadership in our church, right? They can't be, you know, teaching or something like that, right? So we have to have some some way to distinguish those who are followers of Christ and those who aren't, and then to put um, appropriate expectations, right, on on each of those groups, and um and and that's more what I'm talking about, like that because it does cause confusion, like when there's no understanding of who's a follower of Christ and who's not. And um, then what happens is people people get really confused inside churches. Not only that, but it's it's a terrible witness to those outside the church, mm. right? Like when um, you know when when uh, people look at the Crusades, right? I I've said the Crusades multiple times, and and it's like you know how could these Christians have done this, right? Or the Inquisition, right? How could these Christians these Christians are they're such, such hypocrites in history? And there's part of those wants to go well, look, you know, not everybody who claims to be a Christian is a Christian, right? Throughout history. And but a lot of that is our own our own problem. We it's our job to police our members. I think that's what Paul's getting at mm. in First Corinthians five. Like it's not our responsibility to judge the people outside the church, but to judge people inside the church. Right? That is our responsibility, especially as church leaders. Mm. And so I simply say that that um, yeah, man, I have such I have such a huge heart for Christian unity. Um, I've I've carried a heart for twenty years. For Christian unity, I used to lead um, a unity organization um, when I was, uh, you know, a student in college, and um, I still I still have that same heart. But I recognize that an important facet of that heart is that I have to have a unity that's based upon God's standards of unity, rather than um, my own or like or the world standards of unity. Because I feel like a lot of what a lot of what passes for unity is is more is more compromise right and um to be clear what i'm talking about is this minor issues of doctrine i have no problem i have no problem you know fellowshipping and uniting with people who differ with me on minor doctrine that's like that's fine love calvinists right like there's no there's no issues there right but when we're talking about major issues of doctrine major issues of practice like these are things that um you know they they make a huge they make a huge difference because they 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 bring yeast into the body. That's exactly the way Paul puts it, right? It brings a little a little yeast, right? Leavens the whole lump is the way he puts it, right? That's why you have to expel the immoral person because otherwise that that culture gets in, and that's and John honestly that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid what we've done is uh, we've let in so much leaven into our churches. That it's you. You don't know who the heck's a real Christian, who's not. And, and the and what it does is it kills our culture. It kills our culture, right? Because you need a culture of faith. You need a culture where people are serious about following God and serious about you know putting the kingdom first. But look, when I go to most churches, that's not the culture. 
that that we have in the body. And I'm not saying that, look, I'm not saying this to, to bash any leader. I'm more speaking about the state of where we as the church in America and Korea have allowed ourselves to come to. We've come to this place where our faith, our faith, the faith of our, our culture is usually very low. It's very low. Like outside of the Korean church, I barely know, you know, many, many Christians who are serious about fasting. Right. It's not to say like, you know, I'm sure there are out there. It's just I don't know that many. Right. I've, I've yeah. run into many more who like fasting. We don't we don't really do that anymore. <laughs> like, do you guys fast? <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you not fast? Right. But that's pretty common. I think that's pretty common in the church everywhere. Right. Like that's that's my concern. Whenever we're talking about unity, I'm like, yes, please, let's do the unity. But. At the same time, let's uh, we have to have strict standards so that we're not being united with things that we're not called to be united with. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you 100%. I have I have the same burden, right, for uh, purity of the church, for genuine faith to to, to arise in America. Um, you know, one one of the things that I I always grieve is a lack of prayer in the church, right? Uh, you know, we. I feel like oftentimes we think of sin in the obvious things, right? Like lying, murder, racism, abortion, um, uh, even, even homosexuality. I mean, those are blatant sins, right? But the, the, the sin of lukewarmness, the sin of spiritual apathy, spiritual laziness is equally as destructive. Sure. Right? I mean, Revelations 2, right? Just, I'm going to spit you out. Sure. And so... Uh, the lack of prayer, prayerlessness in the, in the church. Um, the, I, I spoke about this last Sunday. I was like, hey, if you if, if have the time to watch Cobra Kai and Quintus Gambit, but you, don't, you can't spend one hour of your week praying, what does it say about your faith and your values, right? And so, um, man, I, I could go on and off about this. And I appreciate what you talked about church membership. When I, when I look at G, uh, Jesus' rebukes, it was often... It wasn't to the public leaders. It wasn't to, to Rome. It was to the Pharisees, the scribes. It was to the shepherds, right? In the Old Testament also, the main rebuke was to the shepherds of the house of Israel. And so if anything, uh, we need to hold pastors uh, to a higher standard, right? Um, and if the sheep are going astray, probably it's because we don't have, we're, we don't have faithful pastors that are, that are teaching biblically, right? And, and uh, I... I include myself in, I'm not throwing rocks at other pastors, right? There's many times where I have for the, for the tension of grace and being liked, having said the things that I felt I needed to say, and I'm growing and I'm growing in my boldness and confidence to speak God's truth, even if it causes persecution or opposition, right? Sure. I'm growing in that. And I realize I have uh, blind sides in that, but yeah. I, I, th- I think it's, it, it's this year, it was helpful for me to see uh, like, what is my lane? Right. And so I, and so my lane is I'm not going to influence Washington, D.C. I'm not going to influence what happens in New York City or, or, or other states. But God gave me authority and stewardship over my local congregation. So that's who I speak to. Right. When I look at the epistles of Paul and the other other um, apostles, they spoke to a specific church. Right. Yeah. They, 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 they didn't call out the emperor. Right. Um, and so that really helped me to see where is my impact, where's my authority. And so if anything, we should pray 
that each local pastor, each local church pastor, shepherd gets to uh, shepherd their, their, their own local church in a godly, biblical, faithful way. I think that's what's lacking. If we really want to make an impact, right? Each local church pastor, right? We need to have a, uh, our own self-reflection. Are we teaching the things of God? Yeah. And that helped me to not kind of get over, like, overstretch or, or spend my time with things that don't, I can't even have influence over. But how do I shepherd my people at, at VOG? Yeah. yeah, I totally understand. Let me circle back to a couple things. Um, number one, I do well. I do want to get into the issue of political idolatry in just a second. Before we go there, I want to touch back on what you um, had touched on briefly in terms of false prophets, because that is a major issue that's going on right now, right? And the question of, um, you know, especially all the all the prophecy in terms of Trump. So now, false prophets. How do you how do you define somebody as a false prophet? Like, is it just somebody who gives a false a false word? Yeah, again, it's it's really difficult, right? It's a really difficult thing to answer. And um, I tend to err in not, not criticizing leaders unless I know them personally, I have a relationship with them, right? Because like all I, I might just see a, a headline, right? Um, it, and I don't know who's writing this article, right? And so unless I have a relationship with them, I know them personally, I know the fruits of, of their ministry, I, I tend to not speak publicly, Right. And especially at the church uh, where I pastor, I don't talk, I don't give my own political views. And I I, I try never to criticize other leaders. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's a good, good principle to live by. Uh, But I would say that there is a, um, there is a crisis right now. Right. And especially in in the, in the charismatic world where so where. I don't know what the percentage, but pu- very public leaders, right, have um, prophesied that Trump is going to be the next president, and they double down it continually, right? Even though a lot of the evidence showed that he wasn't, that, that and eventually Biden became president, right? Mm-hmm. And um, what happens with that? I, I actually don't know what the answer to this. I'm going to kind of open it up to you as well. Mm-hmm. But what happens when when and they, and so many are led to be, to believe that they put their all the eggs and in basket into, into that thing, mm-hmm. right? And the, even when they apologize, say, I was wrong, right? Whether it's Chris V or Jeremiah Johnson, now they're attacking them. Mm-hmm. There's a, I heard like death threats, right? I mean, what a, what a craziness, right? So-called believers, right? Be- and and they're, they're attacking their families. And so I, I think there's a, there's a real um, danger of credibility, and in, in, in the evangelical church, especially in the charismatic side, uh, people that have maybe stopped believing in prophecy altogether, right? So how do we, how do we hold these people accountable? How do we uh, restore them? How do we teach what it means to be faithful uh, public leaders? And how do we give this kind of words? I don't have the answer to this, but I, I do know it's, it's, it's a real thing right now. Yeah. For sure. It's a major thing. I've discussed it with a couple of people on the, on the podcast already um, prior, you know, obviously this is like, we're at like the day after on a two days after now um, mm-hmm. Biden has been inaugurated. So my, my general take is this prophecy is di- true. Prophecy is often intentionally difficult to interpret. And like, for example, when we look at messianic prophecy in the scripture, um, it's it's notoriously difficult to interpret, right? Um, in fact, I'm actually very impressed 
by how well lots of people interpret it. I'm speaking right now of Jesus' first coming, right? Um, obviously, there's, there was so much debate about, you know, did was Jesus the Messiah? Was he not the Messiah? They weren't sure. He seemed like he was fulfilling certain passages. Even John the Baptist, right, seems like he was like, are you the one or are we waiting for another? It seems like there was some aspect of doubt. And, um, and that's because I think true prophecy is intentionally mysterious and often is fulfilled in a way that we do not expect it to be fulfilled. Okay. So that like, for example, in, um, you know, in the coming of the first Messiah um, or the Messiah's first coming rather um, there was in Hebrew thought, there was um, what was called Messiah son of Joseph and Messiah son of David. And, and that's because, um, you know, they would, they saw two streams of messianic prophecy. They saw a suffering servant, one who would suffer for the nation, the sins of the nation. And then they saw one who was like a conquering king that would come to, you know, rule over the nation and the nations of the earth. And they saw these two streams of prophecy throughout the Old Testament. And, um, and that's where this tradition of Messiah, son of Joseph and son of David developed, right? One was the suffering servant, one's the conquering king. And I'm amazed by that because, yes, I think that's absolutely right. There are two streams of messianic prophecy, right? And I think that's actually where John the Baptist's question comes from. Because I think John had gotten revelation, you know, that Jesus was the suffering servant. He was the lamb, right, that was slain, right, God's lamb. And so um, I think he was asking, but is there going to be another one? Is there someone else that we're waiting for also? And um, the reason why I point that out is because the actual fulfillment is something I don't think anybody would have seen. You know, it's one Messiah who comes twice. (laughs) You know, like, how how would you have gotten that? You know, it's so difficult to rightly interpret prophecy. So I simply say that to say, um, when we're talking about these prophecies concerning Trump and his reelection, you know, I've never seen a situation like this where so many were saying the same thing. And I was telling a friend of mine, I don't even know of any major prophets who said that he was not going to be elected or, or, or prophesied that Biden was going to win. I don't know of any that said that. And this is like a first time for me because I've been following, you know, um, major prophets for a while now. And um, this is the first time I thought 2016 was actually a fascinating litmus test because in 2016, there were several strong prophetic voices that I trusted that were saying that they, they that Trump is going to win this. And I remember looking at the polls the day before the election and New York Times had Trump at like a two or three percent chance of winning. Right. And I was like, well, I guess we're going to see who's really prophetic here. <laughs> right? like, and um, and, you know, obviously we know how it came out. Trump Trump won. And, and I remember at the time that seemed it seemed to me like a political miracle. It just seemed like, wow, all the polls had him losing this thing by a lot. And um, and for him to pull this out, it seemed like a political miracle because I know people that prophesied even before he had um, even made the decision to run for president. Right. We have prophecies going way back. Right. Saying how Trump um, would run for president, would win it. And so I think that they they gained a lot of credibility with me, not just through that, but with many, many um, former prophecies. The one with, um, you know, Amy Coney Barrett. Right. When. um when Gorsuch's seat, uh, was it Gorsuch's seat? Or I forget when somebody, when, when one of the seats opened up, you know, one of the prophets had a dream and the specific name of Amy Coney Barrett was given to him for that seat. Oh, this was Kavanaugh's seat. And I remember we were praying for Amy Barrett um, that whole season and then Kavanaugh got it. And um, 
and we were disappointed because we felt like that was not the right pick. Um, but fast forward a couple years later, and another seat pops up, and and Barrett is in, right? And so I simply say that um, one of the major the major f- causes of misinterpreted prophecy, from my perspective, is a lack of understanding of God's timing. And God, his timing tends to be take a lot longer than we think, right? Jeremiah is talking about imminent destruction from Babylon. He's preaching that for 40 years. I got to think, you know, after the first year, people are like, dude, this guy's been talking about this for a year and no Babylon, right? And um, it took 40 years for it to come to pass. Guys like Joel, you know, Joel is, is prophesying, you know, about things thousands of years in the future, right? Like these, like, it's not like God's timing is very difficult. And so I simply say this when it comes to Trump, I actually still think there's a good chance that Trump will come into office again. Okay. Now I've been very clear. I am not a prophet. All right. And I, I'm not prophesying that. I'm just saying my assessment from hearing all these words and from some of them, the ones, the people that I do respect a good amount, um, I think there's a good chance that he'll come in and I'm not betting anything on that. Like I don't really, it, I don't personally care that much. Right. In the sense that um, my trust is in the Lord, no matter what, right. If Biden's president, fine. Right. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not losing sleep over this, you know? So I simply say that to say um, in this case, I think it could have gone a couple different ways. I think it could be future if they if if some had prophesied in the sense that Trump will be president again or Trump will be reelected. I still think that there's room for that to come to pass. If some had prophesied, oh no, you know he's he's getting eight years in a row or something like that, right? Well, clearly that's wrong, right? And some of the ones that I think the the way they prophesied it, I think yeah they were wrong. But misinterpreting it, I think is pretty common. And look, it it's true that they could have been all wrong. Um, I think if they if they are all wrong, that that seems similar to me as what happened um, with um, Micaiah, right, and and Ahab back in in you know first or second Kings, right, where God sends a deceiving spirit to deceive all the prophets, <laughs> right? That's that's what it seems like because there were so many that prophesied this, and um, and if that's the case. Yes, I think that that um, that should scare the heck out of us. If you're if you're charismatic and you believe in prophecy, I think that should scare the heck out of you. That there is a there is an option on the table here, where God allowed us to be greatly deceived in this, right? And um, you know, I don't know at this point. Like I said, I think the most likely right now is either that you know I think Trump might come back into power later on, or you know, they might've missed it and they just, you know, it, it would be appropriate to repent. I don't know at this point, but, um, I'll just say like, yeah, these things are not easy. I kind of see it as this, that the church is, we're pretty immature at prophecy right now. I think we're pretty immature. And I don't say this, you know, to, to, uh, slander people who consider themselves prophetic or prophets, because I feel like it's the role of the elders. The elders of the church are supposed to be judging the prophecies, right? So if there's, if there are prophecies that many people in the body believe that we're wrong. Well, that's again, that's on that's on the shoulder of the elders of the church, right? Now that being said, we're so divided, you know, and um, we're immature in so many different ways that I don't think this should be hugely shocking, right? The church is just we're in a very immature state, I think, as a whole. That's kind of how I tend to see it. 
Yeah, and um, I agree. I think the prophetic is very, very hard to, to judge and discern, right? Um, time is a test of it. You have to weigh everything. And, and, and I, th- I think there is a lack of accountability. Uh, I, I completely believe in that. Um, the elders should be judging. Maybe we're giving it too quickly. And the lack of humility too, right? If, if, we, if we understand the prophecy is really difficult to discern, maybe this should, it shouldn't be like, uh, thus says the Lord, Right, where you're actually leading people astray, and and you see the fruit of the fruit of some of these prophecies, right? I mean, I just mentioned Jeremiah, Johnson, others, others had received death threats. So, what does that say about people that are following these prophetic words? As uh, thus says the Lord, right? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, that one's hard for me to say because I know a lot of people that follow, you know, these guys, and I don't know any of them that would react like that. So, I believe those people are out there. I, I'm sure they are, right? I mean, um, I mean, it was. The, the leaders themselves that said like yeah. these these were uh people that were you know walking with me these were uh fellow believers or brothers i mean th- these are their words they're saying church christians that they walk together were, yeah. were now opposing them right yeah so i sorry i'm not trying to say that i don't believe it happened i just don't know what the percentages are you know i don't know what percentage of people you know were so upset and, and mad you know, and what percentage were, you know, more like me, like, oh, that's disappointing, but it's okay. You know, like, I have to think the vast majority are, are more along those lines, but I, I don't know. You know, I wish I had, like, perfect poll num- polling numbers here. <laughs> I don't know. But look, from, from where I stand, look, I don't know anybody that was super flaming mad at Jeremiah Johnson. And I know a good amount of people that respect him. You know, he's a pretty respectable yeah, prophetic and, voice. And I'm sure there's there's bad apples and, and bad actors. But the, the reality, though, is that, the, the, that there is this ugliness. Right. We can't deny it. Right. We saw the Capitol riots, uh, how, uh, you know, along with people that, that invaded the Capitol, there was like, um, you know, we see Christian nationalism on display. Right. Where they're syncretizing a, a Christian identity with political uh, ideology. OK. Um, All right. And, yeah. Let's get into that. So I can. OK. So that's where I, that's where you're kind of seeing the link here. Yeah. I mean, I definitely do think there is some of that for sure. Right. Um, and I actually am very concerned about, you know, this like alt right, a rising alt right, something like that, that seems to be somewhat infused with a Christian nationalism, something like that. Right. Like, I think that um, I think that's really scary. And to be honest, I've, I've been warning about this, um, you know, for a long time now. Right. Um, that all the identity politics on the left I see it really as racist at its core, right? And what I feel like it has been doing for the past, you know, decade, it is it has been nurturing um, a strong resentment and anger and bitterness um, in portions of the mostly white community in America. And again, I'm still talking relatively small numbers, relatively, right? But I am very concerned that as this thing continues. I'm concerned we're going to see a resurgence of a serious white supremacy movement. And um, I, I think that's really scary. That, to be honest, I'm, I'm more afraid of that than I am of, you know, and the Antifa far left crowd, you know, getting power and going crazy. I, I think that we're kind of at their peak right now is the way I kind of see it. Um, but I am very afraid um, that if large portions of the of the white community in America start getting radicalized and um, and really bitter, I think we could start seeing a, a major you know turn to that. And I think that that's kind of what you're what you're touching on a little bit, right? With some of these people that you know they're Christian, but 
they're really fueled more by um, whether it be an idolatry in, in Trump or maybe it's just some type of white supremacy that's infused in it or something like that. Yeah, and, and Christian nationalism is not new. It's been around since the 1800s. Um, and so it's been up and down here and there throughout and maybe dormant for a while. And we're just kind of seeing a lot of the manifestations more in the past four or five years. Uh, I have no problem with Christians voting for Trump for believing in his policies, right? especially when it comes to uh, pro-life choices, um, when it comes to family values, Christian values. I have no problem with religious like, go. But what I had problem with was what I felt like was this blank check that was given to Trump once he was elected as president and letting him do whatever he wants so that Christians could get the benefits of him siding with Christian values, right? And I don't think that's a good, that's a good witness, Right. Okay. We don't do that with anybody. With any, we don't do that with pastors. We don't do that with any CEOs. We don't give them a blank check. Right. We, we hold them accountable. And I felt there was a, such a lack of accountability of Trump from the church, from the religious right, that it did a, it did a great damage to, to okay. Christian witness. And, yeah. and, and, and I, I, part of this resurgence of uh, white nationalism, uh, alt-right, and mingle with Christianity, and the confusion of that is because we have not called that sin. The, the way that you talked about, right? Like if you don't call out sin within the church, right? Then there's a confusion. What is Christian witness, right? Okay. And, and I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. Okay, Let, this is good. Let's go into this because one of, the, one of the difficulties here is that term Christian nationalism, it gets thrown out all the time at people like me, right? So I'm a, I'm a pretty strong Trump supporter. Um, you know, I'm very, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty mainstream conservative, right? Ben Shapiro is like my lane. Right. For the most part. Um, but we're constantly labeled as Christian nationalists by the national media, which is why I'm I, I'm I want to hear the good parts of what you're saying, because I definitely think there's an aspect of truth to this. Right. I think there is a rising alt right um, that does have elements of Christian nationalism and stuff like that. But what I hear is um, it, it's like, where's the line between that movement and and a more mainstream evangelicalism that overwhelmingly supported Trump in the past election. And like, where do you see Christian nationalism? Let's just talk in kind of this mainstream, like give me some examples. Cause I don't know, I don't know of any Christian, you know, leader that I respect that was giving Trump a blank check. I think almost all of them were, you know, uh, you know, almost all of them condemned certain things that he did. Um, the one that springs to mind is when he abandoned the Kurds, right, in, in Turkey, right? I had a number of national leaders, you know, um, spoke out against that, right, as, as that that is not right. We need to defend those people. Um, there's, a, there's been a number of other, other situations like that where kind of mainstream Republican, conservative, I should put evangelicals, um, spoke out against what President Trump was doing. So I, I just don't know what you're referring to specifically there. Yeah, um, I, I guess it's all general. There's so many like you know things that, that, that could be said. Um, I would say when it comes to like pastors or, or Christian leaders, um, I, I, I've, I've rarely heard anybody um, speak out against Trump when it comes to like toxic rhetoric, uh, narcissism, um, when, I mean, yeah, those are, those are a few of them. Um, just the, uh, like his his own White House, right? Like when he threw people under the bus all the time, people were, you know, getting fired or leaving. Um, even like his his most loyal guy, Mike Pence, 
right? That he threw on that bus because he was refusing to, uh, you know, not go by the constitution. And so there's a lot of these kind of unchristian uh, things that he was doing, right? Um, that that I, I just felt like there was a silence of that. And I think the most obvious is um, his lack of calling out the alt-right uh, white nationalism, right? Whether it was in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, when, when white nationalists are coming to Trump rallies, he refused to call them out, right? Okay, well, and, wait, wait, wait. let's talk and, about that. Let's talk about that. Because I, I heard him call that out many times. Like they, like the, the very fine people hoax, right? That's how it's known in conservative media circles, right? Because he explicitly denounced white supremacy. He explicitly said that he's not talking about white supremacists, right? That those are not very fine people in that very speech that he gave. I've seen multiple times where he would call them like these are good people. Even in the Capitol riots, right? Is that I, I love you, um, you know, you are you're excellent people, but go home, right? I mean, to to people that were like exciting violence, right? The way they, the way that he treated uh, the people that are protesting in, in uh, for the uh, Black Lives Matter, and the way he treated those who were uh, pro-Trump, um, alt-right. Uh, it was it was it's like night and day, and I'm not I'm not getting this um, news just from like NBC, CNN. Like, I actually spent more time with, in Fox News just because I want to you know just so I have kind of a balance of, of, of what I'm listening to. But when I look at the transcript of what he said in all those big crisis situations, it's like night and day, right? And 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 I just overall I felt like if if he could get the votes, even if it was alt-right or even if it was white nationalists, if you could get those those votes for him, I felt like um, there wasn't an outright denouncement of those things. That's just my perception of when I look at uh, the things that he said in all those situations. I mean, so here's here's okay, here's how I see some of this stuff. The tr- the, the the national media, for the most part, is so biased against Trump. But it's not just against Trump. It's really against people like me, right? Like constantly, you know, people like me are likened to like Nazis and Nazi supporters and all these types of things. And so because of that, what I see Trump doing sometimes is being very careful not to lump in conservatives with alt-right people. And I actually appreciated that a lot. Where in Charlottesville, I, 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 I heard that talk, right, that he gave. And um, what I saw is that he was trying to, to defend people like me, right, who are more conservative and were participating for good conservative reasons, right? That's what he was getting at. Like the state's rights people, right? Those are very fine people. But he made a distinction in that speech and in many others where he said, and I'm not talking about the white supremacists, Right. And he condemned white supremacy explicitly. And that, and that's what I mean. So I feel like when I listen to him, I know what he's trying to do here. But when the media portrays it, they're slanting it a certain way. And that's, that's how it appeared to me many times over the past several years. And I, and, I, and I say the same thing here. Like, personally, I don't know a Christian leader. Well, I, I want to be careful saying that because I'm not sure. I don't recall any Christian leader giving Trump a pass on a lot of his rhetoric or his unchristian behavior. I I never considered Trump a Christian. He might be, but I I don't know. It doesn't seem like it to me, right? 
I don't, I don't support him because of his Christian character. I think he has lots of flaws and weaknesses. And almost all the leaders that I saw, they all are very open about his real weaknesses and his real problems. The the only argument that, you know, that I would make and that many have made is, is that, but he also has great strengths. So he's a package. He's got great strengths. He's got great weaknesses. I felt like his strengths were really important for the hour. Something like Jehu, right? I, I would say Jehu... You don't want Jehu to be your freaking pastor. You know, Jehu would be a terrible pastor, right? But he had the particular strengths that were really important for that season in Israel's history. They needed a ruthless man that would deal with Jezebel and would deal with all the idol worship going on in Israel at the time. And so God anointed a ruthless man. And so I feel like similarly to Trump, I don't feel like Trump is as ruthless as Jehu is, but he is he's not careful with his speech, right? Which a Christian should be, right? He's not careful with his speech, all right? He's very blunt and, you know, but I see a package there. I see courage, which I think is one of the most important strengths for the hour, and I see a general lack of wisdom, right? And I do see his behavior in throwing people under the bus. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's good. Like Trump is one of those people that I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to be, you know, his friend in that sense. I don't think he's a very faithful friend, <laughs> right? Like I, I wouldn't want him to be my pastor. I wouldn't want him to be a small group leader. But at, at the same time, I, you know, General Patton in World War II, I for sure would not want him to be my small group leader or pastor or anything like that, right? kind of a ruthless, you know, jerk. But for the role that he played, I felt like there are not many people who could do it better than him. And that's how I felt about Trump. And I feel like many, yeah. many conservatives felt similarly. Yeah, and I, I I agree with pretty much everything that you said. And I have no problem with all those things. But I still feel that there was a lack of accountability. I, I strongly believe this from public leaders. The only one that actually saw hold Trump accountable is um, John Piper. And, and, and I think that I shared the article where mm -hmm. he said it's, it's not just policies that affect the country, it's leadership and character, morality matter, that uh, obviously abortion and it's, it's, it's a demonic thing, right? It's, uh, we, we all believe that, all conservative Christians. But same thing, uh, decay of more moral character on a public leader can cause cultural death as well. And cultural death, the implication of that goes to the family everywhere, right? And so I, I just haven't seen that kind of uh, accountability from public Christian leaders, whether it's Franklin Graham or others who were strong Trump supporters, right? Oftentimes it, it, it was, um, and, I, and I'm not talking about, I, I agree with you, the liberal media has a bias against Trump, just like the right, right um, conservative media has a bias against uh, Democrats. I mean, when Obama was president, I mean, Trump news, I mean, nothing good was said, right? The media will be the media, right? I'm talking about within the body, within Christians. Uh, I, I think I read an article either in Christianity Today or another, another um, Christian uh, magazine that the problem with what they call Trumpism or following Trump uh, for Christians was that in order to um, support him, a lot of them, they um, let, betrayed every other commitment, every other Christian commitment they had uh, when it came to character, truth, uh, morality, sermon of the mount. And, I'm not, and it wasn't, I'm not saying all Trump followers were that, were that obviously. Uh, but so wait, a, help a, me understand. A part of it. 
Help me understand, because I, I honestly, I don't understand this argument. I really don't. And I, I want to. I want to understand it better here. Because I, I don't understand Piper's argument at all. It makes almost no sense to me. Because he's saying, look, we have this person who has terrible character, and he is... It, it, I, I appreciated that tr- he wasn't saying outright that he's doing more damage, but he's saying, how can we know? <laughs> There's a lot of that type of language, sure, right? Sure. How can we know that he's not doing more damage you know, than these pro-abortion policies and things like that? And that, to me, just seems like such a... It, I, I don't understand it. I, don't wanna, I, I almost said it sounds so ridiculous. But, you know, I respect Piper, but I just... How can you compare, you know, Trump's, you know, personal character foibles to supporting policy that leads to, you know, almost a yeah. million murders a year? Like, I, I, I don't understand. And because this is assuming something. It's assuming that guys like Biden and Bush and Clinton have better moral character. That's the assumption that it's making. And I, I don't believe that for a second. It's not that I know for sure they have just as bad moral character, but what I'm pretty sure is they're much better at not showing their bad moral character, right? That's the difference to me. Like, I look at guys like Clinton, I'm like, okay, clearly the dude has bad moral character, but he doesn't show it because that's what a, that's what a politician is is good at. That's what makes them a skilled politician is they're good at presenting their positive attributes and they're good at hiding their negative attributes. And that's actually what people appreciated about Trump is that he didn't care about that. He wasn't always trying to hide all his negative attributes and word things perfectly so that it would give the appearance like he's agreeing with you when he's actually disagreeing with you. That's the, that's what people hate about politicians is that their lies are so calculated. They're so polished. They're never actually telling you what they think and believe about stuff because they're looking at what's popular and they're trying to make it sound as popular as possible and hide any elements that they believe in that are unpopular. And Trump is the opposite. He's just like, he's going to come out, he's going to be crude, and he's going to be rude at times, but he's honest. I look at that, and I and actually, it's very, it's refreshing for me. So that's what I mean. It seems to me to be a shallow type of discernment when we go, hey, Trump is so, his character is so much worse than these other guys that we, you know, you, you should second guess supporting him because his negative character is just as bad as these policies that are directly contributing to almost a million murders a year. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say this, um, words, words matter, right? Uh, In Proverbs, it says that words can, uh, lift up a nation or can destroy it especially when it comes from public leaders. And we don't, we don't use that kind of standard with any other leader. You know, I'm not talking about just, just pastors, any, any kind of public leader, right? We hold them accountable for the words that they say, right? We've seen CEOs just, um, you know, uh, lose their jobs for, for things that they've said, right? And, and that, that's what I'm saying. There's a lack of, I believe words, when it, especially at the highest office, if it's toxic, if it's narcissistic, if it's divisive, if there's hate involved in it, that can uh, create a culture and environment in, in that nation. And it can give rise, it can give boldness to people like the alt-right into white nationalism. I think that's what Piper is calling into attention, which I was saying from the beginning. I was like, character, morality matters, uh, not just policy. Po- obviously, policy matters, absolutely. But 
Yeah, but I, so words. No, I, I strongly believe words matter. You're actually creating this environment of like uh, what, like truth, right? When, when when you start doubting everything, and the president has access to his Twitter account, and then there's all these things coming out of him, right? And you're like, what's right? What? And you're just questioning everything. It creates this crazy, chaotic crisis environment when it when uh, you can't even manage your own household, the White House, right? Um, and so that's what I'm talking about, uh, death to culture. It's, um, and another thing I want to say about uh, uh, abortion policy, right? I don't, I don't believe that legislation is, is, is the only way that we stop, right? I, I was doing some research, um, I think it was Thailand, right? They, they didn't really have a policy on abortion. They finally started criminalizing abortion. What happened in the country was 300,000 people they were going now um, illegally try to get abortion. And a lot of them died because it was bad abortion, right? It, it, it wasn't through medical, whatever. So even if we start criminalizing um, abortion, right? Have just laws, it's not gonna solve the issue of abortion throughout the history of the world. It, it, it is never, right? It has to be believers, Christians standing up for, um, I think I read that the, the majority uh, people choosing abortion is economic issues, right? Single moms or, or um, un, unwed couples, right? Um, or stigma of shame, right? So we need to do a better job of creating an environment. People can uh, have the economic means to have this, the, these children or get rid of the stigma of the church, the shame that we put on people for having uh, unwed babies, right? And so policy cannot ultimately legislate the issues of the heart, right? Issues. And so I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm, I'm all about having, like, you know, getting rid of Rover's I'm all about that. But what I'm saying is naive to think that just getting rid of Rover's weight is going to stop abortion. People are going to do it illegally, right? It's a sin issue. And so when, when, we, when we choose a candidate just on those two issues, on that one issue, and we forget everything else, education, economics, everything else, right? I just feel like it's, it's, it's it, it's it's too reductionist, uh, and and that's what I'm talking about. Even character, I strongly believe character I you. matters. I hear you. Okay, you're bringing up three things, three giant topics. I'm gonna try and hit them, you know, one at a time here. First of all, I agree with you that words matter. I really do. Okay, um, but but look, our nation just saw mass rioting this whole past year. Okay, and it was for the most part not the right doing it. Okay, I understand there were. Some people at the, uh, you know, at the Capitol building, but if we're just talking about compar comparable numbers here, okay, it was not it has not been the the right inciting major violence and insurrection all over the nation. Okay, that was happening all year long, and my point is this: it it it's a narrative. What what I hear from you is the same narrative that I hear all the time from the media, which is that this president is inciting all of this violence. And the thing is, I am afraid of that. I like I I mentioned at the beginning, I am deeply concerned of a rising alt right white supremacy movement. But I'm telling you, from my perspective, it's not Trump that is inciting it, right? It is is it, this is what I mean. His speech was very offensive to the far left, but you have to understand his. Obama offends me a lot more than Trump does. Okay? Obama says things very nicely, but I hear the the bias and the judgment that comes with pretty words all the time from the left. And that's what I mean when you say words matter, I totally agree. 
But what you're saying is that the kind the the crudeness of Trump's speech is somehow so much worse than this other speech on the other side. And I'm simply saying I, that's not how it appears to me at all. Right. So I'll, I, it's OK. We can differ over whether Trump had good words or bad words, per se. OK. But all I'm trying to say is there's different perspectives on this. Right. It's not us saying, hey, I love Trump so much. I don't see any flaws. And just because of abortion, pro, yo, you know, rah, rah, abortion. Right. In fact, it, I, I've heard this argument many times that that evangelicals are willing to sell out everything else for the sake of getting their abortion laws. And the thing is, I don't know who they're talking about because I'm I'm a conservative. All right. It's not just abortion. It's it's on almost everything I agreed with Trump policy on. OK, he wanted to push school choice. I strongly believe in school choice. I think every Christian should strongly be pushing for school choice. Right. We're talking about limited government, religious freedom. I strongly agree with what Trump was doing there in his administration. Right. When we talk about anti-regulation and trying to free businesses. Right. From the constraints of all of this overregulation, I'm very much a conservative on all this type of thing. So this idea that I'm willing to sell out all this stuff for Trump, that's that's just simply not true. Right. I agree with Trump on a wide range of policies because I'm a conservative, just like most evangelical Christians in America are. So it, 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 we're not selling out anything. Right. So yeah. I simply see that as, as go ahead. Yeah. And absolutely. There's like there's different perspectives. Right. And I think the difficulty and if I if I made it sound like I was like, you know, putting all everybody in one, one umbrella, I mean, that's that's not what I meant to do. And I think what when the right looks at the left, they look at it as a lump. Right, they're all baby killing Marxist socialist, which is not true, right? There's a there's a section, right? Maybe like the far far left, but there's moderate Democrats. They're like more conservative Democrats, right? And the fact that we have these two choices, Democrat Republican, they're both imperfect, right? Sure. I don't identify as a Democrat. I don't identify as a left. I'm probably middle middle right more than anything. Sure. My my values are very conservative. Sure. Um, but and, and so e each election, I could go either way. I live in California, which doesn't really matter who I vote for, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think these labels of left and right um, are not very helpful, right? Sure. And I'm and when I'm saying this, I'm not saying like you or the majority of of, of Republicans or conservatives are voting. This. I'm saying there's a section of of the of Republicans and uh, right wing Christians that are falling to this trap, right? Just to get perspective, right? Because sure. we all we all live in echo chambers, and so. I think it might be helpful to to hear from the other side what 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 the perception is, right? It For helps, sure. right? Well, why the, why, why am I in this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. I generally wouldn't be in this podcast, but I'm trying to dialogue with people who might think differently from me. When when the riots happened, I called you because I knew you would think differently from me, and, and I wanted to engage in that kind of dialogue, right? right? Uh, I don't want to hear echo chambers or think that things that I think about, right? Right. Um, and so, having said that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying they're all like that, but I'm saying there, there's, a, there's a portion of the evangelical right church, there's a portion of that that are falling into this trap, and I think that's dangerous, right? And, and I'm not going to, sure. I'm not talking about the world, I'm not talking, because they're still my brother and sister, right? They're still a church, but so I felt responsibility to, to talk about these things yeah, in, in, I, in covenant. Yeah. I know, I understand that. All, all I'm trying to get out is that it has been, from my perspective, the you know the job of the mainstream media to try and present standard conservatives as far right and that's what i mean i, I feel like the same things happened to trump here trump from my perspective has not acted like a far right leader 
I understand if you if you take snippets of of you know some of what he said, and you interpret it in you know in uncharitable fashion, you can get there, right? But that's that's my point. People like me who are center right, people like like Ben Shapiro, right, is constantly called alt right all the time, you know, and it's not by it's not necessarily by you know Antifa people. We're talking about by mainstream news publications and things like this, right? Center, so suppose center left institutions like the New York Times and Washington Post are constantly making these references to people like Ben Shapiro, who's about as as mainstream conservative as you can get, as though they're fringe alt right or alt right adjacent or something like this. And that's what I mean. So when we're talking about the evangelicals, the vast majority of evangelicals are more conservative, right? And are, are, from my experience, not doing some of the stuff that you're talking about. Now, is there a portion? For sure there is, okay? And like I said, I'm deeply concerned about that rising minority. But at this point, that minority has been pretty dang small. I think it's growing exponentially, right, over this past year or two. But again, I don't see that as primarily being about Trump. It's, it's, it's more about what we see on, on the far left, all the rioting that's been going on, the tech censorship that's been happening, this type of stuff enrages conservatives. It makes us so angry, and it's it's radicalizing a lot of people. I think it's important also to differentiate. Um, it was a it was the majority of white evangelical church that supported Trump. Right? When it comes to uh, ethnic churches, uh, whether it's black church or or color churches. A lot of them actually voted for for Biden, right? And so um, I just want to make the distinction. It was I think it was like ninety percent of white evangelical churches voted for Trump, and you can make whatever whatever that you want. Um, I think second thing, yeah, the media will be the media, right? I think we talked about this. Like the left is always always going to attack the right. The right is always going to attack the left, right? I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do. But Trump, he had he was the first president that really utilized Twitter. Right. Uh, and so he was speaking directly to the population. So I'm talking about his Twitter. Like if you follow if you follow his Twitter account. Right. I mean, there's some crazy things that he said, right. Attacking people left and right. Um, just a lot of toxic things. And if any leader, any public leader, whether it was a pastor, um, CEO of a company, if, if they had the Twitter account that he had, I don't know if any of them would have survived. They, they would have kept their their position. And that's what I'm talking about is under the umbrella of president, right? And the cover that he had is almost like he could say whatever he wants. There's a way of saying things, right? Um, and I, I mean, I guess we could pull up his Twitter account to see, I mean, I, he doesn't have it anymore that um, they censured it, but there's, I mean, there were some outrageous things that he was saying, right? Um, so I'm not like even what, talking about- Like, just give me a, a type of thing. Like he calls somebody ugly, something like that? No, like, like um, I think it, one time it was talking about like some of the, some of the Caribbean countries, it was like they can go back to their SHIT hole, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Like some of those stuff like that. I mean, like uh, it, it's some, some crazy stuff. I mean, I think he called out some uh, woman um, uh, reporter, right? And it was just like just being uh, like sexist. Like, I don't know, go back to whatever. Like anybody, anybody that opposed him, right? He would just attack them, attack their character. Sure. Right? And what, what kind of leader would survive that? But we, I just felt like we we're just giving, giving this um, just so much room. And especially, I just didn't see anybody calling that out. Yeah, because that, that to me is not a big deal. Like, it's not that it's not bad, right? I wouldn't recommend anybody do it. But I, look, 
you ever you ever go online to play video games with people? <laughs> like I, I've heard like the most terrible, you know, like we're living in a culture where people say the most horrid stuff, and not with that. But look, that doesn't hit that type of language doesn't bother bother me nearly as much as the as the kind of things that I hear people like AOC saying, right? But like, it, it matters if it's the president. It matters if it's like a pastor. It matters leader. What leaders say matters because it gives access to people under them to to say. Oh, if the leader says, it, I can say it. Words of leadership matter. I'm, that's such a bad example. Like playing video games, whatever, right? In the in the private. If Trump was saying in the in the privacy of what of his thing, I don't care. I don't care. But he's a president. There's accountability, yeah. and and Twitter is a public thing. He's representing an office. Mm-hmm. So the fact you're saying if if Biden take away Trump, put Biden in there, and he was saying these things. You, I don't think you would say, you would say the same thing. No, I, that, I, that, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm, no, no, this is what I'm saying. Let me clarify. What I'm saying is I am not condoning his crude language, okay? I think the crude language is wrong. But on the list of terrible things you could do as leader of the free world, using crude language is somewhere around here, right? Compared to supporting, supporting abortion policy. That would be somewhere around here, right? Crude language is here for me. Abortion policy is here. Because one is I know all those people are using crude language behind closed doors. It's just a question of what they're, what they're willing to show in public. And that's, like I, that's what I was trying to refer to earlier. Him being himself publicly, I'm just like, yeah, that doesn't bother me that much. It, it, like I know that Biden and Obama and Bush, they're using that kind of language probably behind closed doors, but they're never going to present themselves in such a crude fashion. That to me is like, it's not, that's why it's not that big of a deal for me. Well, well first of all, you don't know that, right? It's, it's very dangerous to say people are saying things or when, when they're not, right? I mean, we're going to be accountable to things we say against leaders. So we don't know what Biden or Obama said, right? So for you to kind of say they probably said those things, you don't know. They could have. Sure. So, so I would just, I would just really be careful about saying this. But again, this is not, I, I never use the language of they're for sure using it, right? I'm saying they're probably using it. But yeah, it's, again, it's to me, thing. that's a small thing. It's a small thing. I'm sure, I, I bet they're probably lying. I bet they're probably committing acts of fornication at times, right? Again, I'm not saying they're for sure doing it. I'm just saying I don't have this image in my mind like they're super, you know, moral people on all like i don't have that expectation of any of these top leaders per se i think i think piper's argument which i agree is that there when, when you represent an office the words that you say matter it, it like you're saying that it doesn't bother you as much i think that's because I, it, just put any other leader any other leader we would not give this blank check but I, no, because, I, because i'm because saying i would the what for crude okay. language crude language is not the thing that for i would a, remove someone for, for for a lot of people a lot of people it matters it really matters and i what what i'm saying is i believe when when leaders the wor- words have power right god created the world through words right mm-hmm. i i strongly believe words matter right so so, so there's so much power when words come from from leaders, especially the highest office. It creates this cultural environment where, like, I agree with uh, this. division, toxicity. Uh, it can like it, cre- it it creates a death to a culture. I well, I agree that words matter. It's what what we're arguing over is the type of words, 
right? You're you seem like you're really upset about crude language. I'm really I'm upset about, about language that's advocating de- grossly immoral things like abortion. It's not just crude language. Uh, it's it's a type of language that creates division, creates confusion, creates um, an idea of you can't trust anything, right? And so I feel like that kind of language gave rise to a lot of this protest get rise to alt-right to a lot violence. For example, uh, when he kept calling it like China flu or Kung flu, whatever, uh, immediately the police said that it, hate crimes against Asian Americans rose. Sure. I, I was one I was one of them, right? I was walking and then uh, people were just calling it coronavirus. There was an Asian family that got stabbed in Dallas right after that, right? Uh, and so those things matter. Yeah, right? I'm not uh, saying they don't matter, but how, how can it's a, that compare? It's a big deal though. It's a no. huge deal. Compared to advocating for abortion, I, I don't understand how that's even. It's, it's not a comparison. I'm not comparing it. I'm not saying one is. I'm saying. I know, but I'm saying it's a totally different level. Is it? Is it not? Is it about the same to you? The, no, the, no. The problem that I have is not. I'm not. I'm not giving it like a value or number system. Uh-huh. The problem that I have is I just felt like Christians who supported Trump and I had no problem supporting Trump were not speaking against this toxicity. We're not we're not holding holding him accountable. It's not a value. It's not a one's worse than the other. Sin is sin, right? Don't, don't we agree? Sin is sin. No, no. I just got into this discussion with somebody else. I think there are differences of severity of sin. Okay, okay. I, I'm I'm not going to argue for that. I'm going to talk about let's just sin is bad, right? All sin is bad. I, I I don't I don't really have a bone to pick it. One sin is where another. What I'm saying is, you can't just dismiss. Um, bad leadership, bad character, and, and that it, it causes, uh, it can cause people have access to, to, to hate racism just because it's, it's a lesser of two evils, right? Like he was a president, right? And so I'm not saying don't stop supporting him, support and pray for him, but we need to be holding him accountable, right? If, if Biden, okay, Biden's elected president, right? I'm gonna pray for him, but I'm gonna wish success because if he succeeds, Right. If he if he does well, it's gonna help everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. When leaders win, everybody wins. But I'm gonna hold him accountable. I'm I don't give him a blank check. Yeah, I think if if the, uh, his pro-abortion stance is horrible, right? There's other things that I don't agree with. So I'm gonna speak against those things. Right. What 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 I'm saying is, I just and you could disagree with me on this, but this is my this is just my opinion. Mm-hmm. When when I saw. The evangelical right who 90 evangelical white church 90 percent supported him right the fact that they didn't restrain you know the things that he was saying the the, the bad character that they, they was displaying the fact they didn't restrain that allowed him to do what he did right i just wonder if there if there was more accountability if, if trump didn't have a twitter twitter account he probably would have he probably would have been elected for a second term like i, I think he it was his fault like the narcissism, the toxic rhetoric that, that undoed him, right? He did, he did a lot of great things for the economy, uh, for religious uh, religious freedom, you know, for abortion for Israel. He did a lot of great things. And I, I strongly believe that if he didn't have a Twitter account, he would have been reelected. It was his own undoing. It wasn't the left that, that stopped him from being reelected. It was his own doing, right? And I just wonder if, if more people held him accountable, that, that he would have been elected for a second term. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it just I I I don't understand it, man. I don't understand the equating crude language with, you know, advocacy for, you know, things like abortion. There are other things that I think are are also terrible 
the two are on such different levels in my mind that um, it's it's just hard for me to to see where you're coming from on this one, brother. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're really hearing me or listening to me. I'm not saying those two are the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Like you're completely dismissing John Piper's uh, article, right? The, the things that he's pointing out that that words matter. Words can create uh, a, a culture of death, right? And so that in itself should hold itself up, not comparing it to abortion, right? I'm not saying like because of that, he should have been uh, uh, like that Biden should be voted because of I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not a either or. I'm saying that in itself is is, is really bad. Like, like and, and that should have been held accountable. Okay, so what what about my example of Jehu, right? Jehu is a pretty ruthless guy, right? Um, but God anoints him because he has the strength. He's not going to be intimidated by Jezebel. Right, so he's anointed. He kills Jezebel. Right, he becomes king. Doesn't seem like he is a, a super loving kind of king, um, but he served an important function, and that's the kind of person that we needed. Same thing with Patton. Right, I mentioned. Right, like we need. I, I have no problem with that. I have no okay. problem with that. Yeah. Okay. I, I have no problem with that. But like, like this conversation itself. This is the frustration that like more. I guess progressive or Christians that that didn't vote for Trump have is that whenever we bring up anything against Trump, they're not willing to listen. That that's, that's the perception we have is like he could do no wrong, right? And then there's all there's there's just like uh, there's just kind of wanting to protect them, right? And I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's because there's been so much like Trump hate, and which I understand. But it just seems that whenever we, we bring up anything against Trump, it's like he like he should be able to defend himself. Right, but there's this such protectionism against them, right? And that, well, that I, look, I I've never I I have not defended you know his crude language, right? I've been pretty clear that it's wrong. All all I the only thing I've said is that on a scale of one to ten, crude language ranks about a three or four in terms of evil for me, and advocating abortion is somewhere around a nine. So all I'm doing is I'm just trying to explain why Trump's weaknesses, from in my estimation were acceptable considering the strengths he brought to the table right and the strengths were were really important from my perspective again it doesn't excuse the weaknesses david right david had great strengths and he had some pretty serious weaknesses right but i would defend david against people who would say oh the dude was a rapist and he was an adulterer i'm like yes that was true right um but the strengths he brought to the table were so important that i'm really glad he was king something like that so I'm not trying to I'm not trying to excuse his sin as though it's not sin, right? I'm just trying to put it in a context to help you understand why it was that we we support him, even though we're not ignorant about his real strength, his real weaknesses. Yeah, no, I I think part of I have no problem with that. Yeah. I think part of it is you know when we jump into the, the abortion side here. Like I've I've I heard the argument that you're expounding here, right? The idea that you know we can't legislate morality, right? And there's for sure a degree of truth to that, okay? For sure, legislation alone is not the whole answer, absolutely. But legislation is certainly part of the answer, okay? Wherever we sure. see legislation, um, you know, being implemented, it does discourage that behavior, right? And so the slavery, I think, is the perfect example, right? Slavery um, was abolished with you know it was not popular when it was abolished in america we had to fight a war over it which really sucked but the english 
Um, they forcibly outlawed the slave trade, right, in places like um, Brazil, in the Ottoman Empire. They forced, they ended it by force, and they helped a lot of people. It saved it, it, it saved a lot of people from major suffering. And so I'm saying that there is a time and a place for that. Obviously, we would love to do this legally, right? And through popular sentiment, that is always the goal, and that should never be neglected. But the idea that you know we shouldn't fight for for legal battles, I, I I just think we're all fighting for legal battles, right? All of us on on every side are fighting to implement what we see as moral and right. And so my answer is that yeah, we should do both. But yeah, I think it's extremely damaging when we have leaders of our nation that are advocating abortion. And, you know, publicly, you know, treating unborn children like their their bodily appendages, like hair. Like, you, oh, yeah, you can just go cut your hair. No problem. Right? I think that's evil. I think that's morally extremely evil. And we can, you know, I can show compassion to them because I understand they're deceived. They don't understand, you know, really the weight of what they're doing and saying. But at the same time, I can't imagine even considering voting for somebody that would that would say stuff like this and that's what i mean when we're talking about evil speech it's not even close to me right yeah trump uses crude language and i don't like that i do not think any leader should use crude crude language all right but compared to advocating for abortion something that i see as maybe the greatest evil of all time that's why i honestly feel like abortion is if we're talking about like if there were if there were asians if, if there was a genocide against asians Right, I would not consider voting for anybody that supported the genocide. It's the same thing here, right? That's why it's it's such a difference in terms of of moral position. I see no, I see I, I see very little, um, you know, weight to the argument that we should consider supporting any Democratic candidate. Because again, if we can get a pro life Democratic candidate, I'm open to the idea, right? But on that one issue alone, that is a total deal breaker for me. Yeah, and um, I I deeply empathize with that, and like I don't hold anybody, you know, like yours, like the way that you 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 think about that issue, abortion, and it's like the deal breaker. I have no problem with that, right? Um, and I I I I can see that 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 uh, the argument. I completely I can see it. I what what I'm saying is, as passionate as we are about legislation, as passionate as we are. I just feel like there's a lot more work to be done when it sure. comes to supporting um, single moms, supporting uh, people so they so they can have economic means to to have to have. I don't think any mom really sure. wants to have an abortion. I really don't. Right? It's like they they feel like they have no choice. Right? Well, I well look, I I know that there are single moms who get it, but a lot of abortions are committed by people that have children. They just don't want another child. That's like a okay. huge percentage of them. Sure, but I, I I read the research. I read the research, at both conservative and liberal, both sides. The 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 major issue is economics. Is that they felt like they couldn't support this child. Um, a lot of them were single moms uh, or, or unwed couples, right? So it was economics and shame, right? And the church needs to reckon with that. What kind of environment have we made when we say we're a Christian nation where people feel stigmatized not to have a child? Right? Okay, wait, let's talk about that because I actually think shame is actually really important. I think we need more shame, not less shame. <laughs> so, like, let's let's let, let's go to that. So, I think I think shame is an important emotion for people to feel when they've committed sin. 
And the and the more serious the sin, I think the greater the shame you should feel. Like that's healthy. Like I want to feel great shame when I commit great sin because that shame can lead me to repentance. Right? If I don't feel the shame, then I I I won't have the motivation to repent. Sure. I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. There's healthy shame. There's, there's, there's bad shame, right? What I'm saying is shame can cause people to do so that like choose a greater evil because of shame. Right. Um, I think statistics show like 90 or 80, 90% of evangelical Christians had sex before marriage. I mean, something like that. And and majority of evangelical uh, Christians now, they don't think uh, premarital sex is a sin. Right. And so this is the reality of the evangelical church. Right. I'm, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm saying this is what it is. Yeah. Right. And so um, what do you do? Do you, do you just keep harping on like, don't do this, don't do this? Or do you, do you face a reality that people are having sex? There's unwanted uh, pregnancy. And once they have them unwanted pregnancy, what do you do? Do you keep shaming them where they, they hide and they have abortion? Or do you say, no, like, don't choose a greater evil. Like, have this child. What, what's the greater what's the greater sin it's it's having that abortion right for sure yeah so that's that's, that's all i'm saying but is, is yeah. let's 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 teach why would shame cause look i understand what you're getting at the link right but say let's let's say we're talking about king david again okay so king david commits adultery and sleeps with bathsheba right now should we be like don't worry david it's not that bad you know don't because i understand his shame and desire to hide it Made him okay. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna kill Uriah. I get that. There's a link there. I just don't think excusing it and saying, "Hey, it's not that bad." Don't you know? I don't think that's the way to fix it, right? No, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying like think things like um, the the purity culture. All these things that people try to do historically has not worked. It's actually gotten worse, right? So I'm saying this kind of shame, shaming has not worked. That's all I'm saying. What, and I'm not saying lower the stamps. I continue, continue to teach biblical values. But what I'm saying is when people mess up, right, there has to be a grace to accept. I think there's something like if, if, if every American church adopted a child or, um, or fostered, there will be no more orphans or, fo- or fostering in, in, in America, right? So the church has dropped the ball in this, right? Sure. I mean, and Okay, so I, I hear where you're coming from here. And I totally support the idea of fostering an adoption. Okay, I'm all for it. All right, but at the same time, we have to we have to say, look, the American church does more fostering adoption than probably any other church in the world. Right? Like, if it's a weakness of ours, which this is one of those things where we could always do a better job. It's like we could always be praying more, you know. But if we're looking objectively, the American church is a very loving church. It is. We it we is. we do more adoption work than any other church on the planet, I, I think, right? And like a lot of our missionaries are running orphanages in other countries. We do foster and adopt. If you look at most of the foster care and adoption programs going on in America, a lot of times it's the Christians who are doing a lot of that work, right? So again, we can do better at it. I'm not saying we're perfect at it, but what I'm getting at is that's, I, I, I feel like the prescription here is not appropriate for the, for the, for the problem. Because you're saying the shame hasn't worked, but from my perspective, it's because we're not putting enough shame. And I and hear me, I'm not saying that we should live in constant shame, right? 
it's just I think we need to clearly delineate. Like this is this is a subject that I think relates to this idea of the fear of the Lord. What's happening to people is when they commit great sin, they have they commit they feel shame about it. That shame is good because it can lead them to repentance, right? And if they don't repent on this thing, yes, then they can get worse and their hearts can become hardened by sin and they can leave. They can be cut off the vine of Christ. They can leave the church. That's what I see is happening right now. We are seeing a mass exodus from the church right now in our generation. And that's precisely because, not because we're not you know, being loving enough per se, but it's because we're not warning people that if they don't repent over these serious sins, it will lead to them being cut off the vine of Christ. That warning, the fear of the Lord, is the thing that should cause such um, grace for us to repent. But when we don't understand the ramifications for sin, then what happens is we tolerate it, and yeah, we feel ashamed, but like, do you understand my point? Like, I hear you saying we need to we need to be more accepting and more loving, but I'm telling I'm telling you, we've become so accepting and loving over sin that what we're doing is we're losing everyone. Like literally the Christians, we're becoming less and less Christian as a nation because we need we need the fear of the Lord and we need holiness and we need the real power of God in the church. That comes through holiness. I I don't disagree with that. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, Dennis, with that. Like I'm, I'm all for that. All I'm saying is that David's fall like great women of God, right? That doesn't mean they're not Christian. For sure. Right? right? For sure. Anybody, anybody can fall. Like yeah. nobody's perfect. Yes, right? absolutely. What I'm saying is once people fall, there needs to be a grace to cover them. And absolutely. what I'm saying, a lot of times there isn't a grace to cover genuine believers, right? And and, and because there isn't that grace to cover them, people choose to do a greater evil. Oh, right? got it. You're, you're speaking about legalistic culture where yes. if somebody confesses sin and they're trying to repent they still get slammed for it or something like that. Yeah, like, like got it. Just the stigma of being, of of being a, a teenage mom. The stigma of of having a child of being pregnant when you're not married. That kind of stigma. That's what I'm talking about. Got like it. We need we need to be better at that. Okay. I'm not. Yeah, I'm I not, I agree with that for sure. I agree with that for sure. When somebody repents, there needs to be full forgiveness in the church. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that's all I'm saying. I'm saying we need to do a better job of th- this is this is the, the the reality is that uh whether it's in, in the church or not it's uh I think the statistics are pretty much the same when it comes to sexual morality all those kind of things and we need to speak against that we should teach it it should be fear the lord it should be healthy but what I'm saying is what do you do what do you do with, with what's what's already happening right what do you do and if if we if we're really um, against abortion, against the killing of babies, right? We need to have a better support system for, for um, I guess, non-traditional people of ways that people are having babies. It's happening. So how do we deal with the reality while we try to teach what, uh, what, what Bible said? That's all I'm saying. I mean, I hear you, but why don't, why don't, we, why don't we have a holiness movement like Jonathan Edwards style, sinners in the hands of an angry God? <laughs> Like, let's do it. I'm like, all for it. I, hear me. I, I'm not trying to communicate the fact that people are going to stumble. I, 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 I genuinely believe people stumble. Okay. What, good Christians stumble at times. All right. Peter stumbled. All right. We can stumble. Yeah. yeah I stumble not, yeah, many that's, times. That's not the issue. Right. The issue is 
building a culture where stumbling is the norm, like meaning not where you where you stay in there. Does that make sense? Right? Like in the early church, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied about their about the income that they got from selling their house and God killed them. All right? Now, mm-hmm. I am uh, I am in the camp. I don't think they lost their salvation. Who knows? They might have, okay? I don't think they lost their salvation. I think they probably went to heaven. But what probably happened is a great fear. This is not probably, this is actually what it says in scriptures. A great fear came upon the community, right? And that was the fear that if another person did the same thing, the same thing could happen to them, right? And that's what I mean. That's actually grace for the church. It's grace when we have strict discipline, because pe- then people know exactly what will happen. I guarantee you, if that had not happened, more people would have done that in the early church. And the problem is when sin starts to abound in the church, then what we see is the power of God and the presence of God starts to decrease in the church. There's this, there's this correlation between the holiness of the church and the way that God is able to move through it. So I, I'm with you I, against legalism. That's what I'm hearing right? We need to get rid of the legalism. I'm 100% for it, okay? If somebody repents, we need to give them full forgiveness, full acceptance in the community. If it's a single mother raising the child, we love her as our own. We help her in every way that we can. There's no stigma. I am completely with you on that, okay? All that I'm trying to, to get at, though, is that in the popular evangelical culture, there's this thing where we, where we're trying to comfort people constantly and not warn them. And that's that's where my heart is like, look, let's comfort the repentant, okay? If somebody repents, by all means, let's comfort them. But we can't comfort people who are unrepentant. Mm-hmm. That, that becomes such a damaging cancer in the church. And so that's the only distinction I'm trying to make. Yeah. And I wholly no. agree with your, with your original point. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I'm with you, brother. It's good, man. Well, brother, there were so many things I want to talk to you about that we we got bogged down on all this uh, all this other stuff. But yeah. I, it was still an enlightening conversation. Real quickly, with you know, I want to try and get you out of here within ten minutes. Let's just try and cover something in a couple sure. of minutes. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, I do want to ask real quickly: When is it okay for Christians to use violence? Yeah, man, you picked all the all the hot topics. Yeah. Uh, this is another very difficult. Um, a lot of discernment is needed, but I would just my bias and what I see in scripture is for nonviolence. You know, I, I adhere to MLK, uh, nonviolent resistance. I think you can fight with nonviolence. I think Christ advocated for nonviolence, right? He didn't pick up the, the sword, he picked up the cross. When Peter, you know, picked up the sword to cut Malchus's ear, he said, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. Sermon on the Mount. Um, you see uh, Paul talk about vengeance is not ours it's from the lord and i think it's eschatology actually spoke for this right because at the end when christ comes back he will make every wrong right mlk talked about this the arc of justice points to i mean the arc of history points to justice and so i i definitely lean towards nonviolence, but i'm not a pacifist i'm not an anabaptist mm-hmm. um i'm not against police i'm not a, i think they're, they're part of the government right military is part of the government and so there's a submission to government right we see that in first First Peter 2, uh, Romans 13, right? Submit to all authority uh, unless it's against God, right? There's a place for civil disobedience. Um, and so, um, you know, if somebody's like, I want to, I'm going to use it for uh, self-protection, right? Somebody invades my house, right? 
and I'm going to use force to protect my family, right? That could be argued like loving your neighbor or love or choosing to protect the innocent, right? That can be a form of love too, yeah. right? Justice and love are not opposite, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not a pacifist, right? I think there's a place to, for protection, but I think that the ethic of love, right? What we see from the early church has been being a martyr, like the greater love is being a martyr, right? And we see that the church is built in the blood of the martyrs, right? Yeah. If I truly were to follow Christ, even if somebody came to my home and was about to attack me or my family, I think the ethic of, of Christ's love would be to not fight back. Would I do that? I don't know. I probably, I probably will fight back. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not that, I'm not that good of a, you know, uh, yeah. So I, I don't fault anybody saying protect yourself. I'm like, go for it. But man, when I see scripture, when I see Christ, he, he picked up the cross, um, man, it's a supernatural thing. But I yeah. see the Christian witness is nonviolence yeah. and to be peacemakers. Yeah. yeah, I I agree with like 90, maybe 95% of what you just said there. So the vast majority is total agreement, right? Um, I think when you got into the defending your home part, I would disagree right there, right? That's the only part that I picked out that I disagree on. And, and kind of the way that I see it in my mind is like this. The spiritual kingdom, right? The kingdom of God is primarily spiritual, right? The spiritual kingdom of God is not advanced through violence. That is not how the spiritual kingdom of God advances, generally speaking, okay? That's why I don't believe in fighting to defend Christ's honor, like killing somebody, right? Or something like forcible conversion. Obviously, none of us believe in that, right? But in the affairs of men, I think there is a place for violence that is sanctioned by heaven. Right. And that's where we get into places where the government authorizes us to commit acts of violence. Right. We're talking about the military. We're talking about the police. We're talking about defending our families and things like that. Um, I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like it is a sin for a Christian to join the military or to be a police officer? Um, No, I don't. I think, you know, if they're doing it in good faith, um, they're doing it to protect protect innocent. I don't think it's a sin. Mm -hmm. Um, I've read like just war theory you know, um, Thomas Aquinas and, and his reasons for, for believing that there's a place for violence. I, I, I don't, it's not that I disagree with those things. I just think that the, the, the push of scripture is to be peacemakers. That should always be, right? Um, but like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a sin. Yeah, if somebody wants to sure. defend their home, defend their country, I wouldn't call it a sin. Yeah, so I think we're pretty much on the same page with a lot of this stuff. So which begs the question, when, you know, when are those lines? And the places where it gets really confusing are, I think, big ones are in cases of revolution, cases of civil war, right? And they were super confusing in our nation's history because kind of what you see in, in both of these cases is you have two governments claiming to be legitimate, right? That's where it gets really confusing because I think all of us agree right now that Joe Biden is the president of the United States. He is the head of the executive branch. I think we're all on the same page, but we have growing minority populations in the United States now who rejected Donald Trump. And now we have some that are rejecting Joe Biden. And you can see this is growing, right? It just feels like from here on out, unless we have a major shift um, it just seems like people are becoming more distrustful of our government. And so part of the reason why I want to talk about this is because I think it's important for us to talk through the doctrine and the theology of all this entails. I don't want to be surprised if we have 
a, 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 a civil war or if we have a government declare themselves the legitimate government, I want us as a church to have thought through these things in our time and to be somewhat settled with what the Bible says about it before we get there. That's kind of why yeah. I want to enter into some of these discussions because these are sure. hard, right? Like sure. it's hard. Um, there was heavy debate in the um, revolutionary period. John Wesley, right, the founder of, of Methodism, right? He was famously, he was against the American Revolution. It made him very unpopular in America during that time, right? Methodists in particular got, you know, persecuted a good amount in America. Um, and it's not clear, right? What do you think, just off the top of your head, what do you think? Can Christians fight in, was the American Revolution um, righteous, would you have been? Would you have fought alongside George Washington? Man, I <laughs> I really don't have any of these answers to be to be honest with you. I, I would just say it's this. hard. Yeah, I would just say this. American history has been very violent. Um, I would say this. Uh, Civil War was like war, the most violent war we we fought. Um, I think it was. I think every war is 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 is. I don't I I don't I don't believe in righteous war. I think uh, if even if you read uh, the the just war um, doctrine, right, with that Thomas Aquinas, he called it a lesser of two evils, right? You're using an evil, which is murder. The Bible says, "Do not murder to protect uh, innocent," right? So I'm just gonna put it: there's no war that's good, right? Sure. You could even be fighting against your fellow brother and sister in Christ, right? Um, if if we go into civil war, who who are we fighting against? Who who versus who, right? right? And, and if there's a call for the church to be united, like, what does that even mean, right? right. And I would say those who said uh, never Trump, that's a dangerous thing. Now, those who are not uh, acknowledging Biden's presence, that's very dangerous. You're going against, uh, you're going against God, right? And he said, every leader is appointed by God. You should honor them as you honor God. So if you reject, if you're in the right side, you're rejecting Biden's presidency, you're actually in, in sin. I would say that there, there's, there's no black and white in this. He's the president of the United States. God appointed him. Right? I don't care if there's a talk about uh, election being stolen, whatever. No, he's a president. Okay, so if, let me if you're against hypothetically, hypothetically, what if a ton of evidence came out that widespread fraud, you know, happened, and then Trump declares himself the true president? This is all hypothetical. I'm not saying that this is happening. I'm saying hypothetically, what if this happened? All this evidence came out that it was fraudulent. But I'm saying even the hypothetical is dangerous. If 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 if, if Trump was elected, right? If, if, for example, 2016, Trump was elected, right? But um, uh, Hillary had had a what do you call it? A majority vote, a popular vote. Before that, when when there was a Bush and Al Gore, right? It was over a hundred some votes in Florida. But for the sake of unity, Al Gore uh, said, "I'm I'm not going to fight anymore for the sake of unity," right? So. What all I'm saying is, if we had flipped, what if what if Trump got elected this year, and then the left was saying there's all this mass fraud, right? Right. I don't know if I don't know if the right the right would be like, you guys are crazy. I all hear I'm you. saying is, look at the other side. I hear you. All I'm trying yeah. to the only thing I'm trying to present right now is what if we actually had a situation where a rival government had a legitimate claim. That's what I'm getting at, right? I understand that we don't want to play these games where we're always suspecting every election. All I'm getting at is, let's say hypothetically, we had this situation where another government had a legitimate claim, right? What do we as Christians do? I just don't see that happening. I just don't. Like, I mean, um, I could be wrong, but I just don't see that happening. So I just think it's even dangerous to entertain it. I think that's where conspiracy theories arise. Um, I think if, 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 you're a leader, if you're a Christian public leader right now, you should squash all of that. 
Okay, well, uh, but then let me put in historical examples. Like in the conf- during the during the Civil War, right? We had several states secede from the Union. We wouldn't have had a war except that Abraham Lincoln decided you're not allowed to do that, right? And he invaded the South essentially. Would it what what would you have done as a Christian in this historical example? Well, I think that's a different situation, right? Um, Lincoln was a legitimate president of the United States, wasn't he? Yes. And so, uh, and then there was a, there was a part part of of the populace that was trying to separate from the union, yes. right? So he had every every authority to to stop it from doing that. Now I don't know if the right thing was to go to war or not. I'm, I'm not a judge of that, right? I mean, whatever happened happened. Um, I think the war was evil, but it it, it it good things came out of it, right? Like like slavery, the abolition of slavery, the union was protected, but so many deaths, so much for sure casualty for sure and and believers from both sides for sure right and so i think i i think you can hold intention the war is evil people die there's murder like people made in god's image are dying right there's evil but god can use it for redemption he can use it for good for example for keeping a a country together from greater evil from happening yeah uh, from like things like abortion and so that's that's how that's all I would say about that. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. We're both on the, the war is never desirable. Okay, we're on the same page with this, yeah. right? The only question is, what are we biblically sanctioned to do? Like, if you're, you know, if you're a soldier in the Union Army, or if you are, you know, considering enlisting, you know, what do you do in that situation? Are you sanctioned by God to enlist and to go and kill fellow Americans, right? Who all of a sudden are now part of a rogue state? I think this is a question that we have to start seriously considering. I not sure. I, I think every Christian will have to answer that with with a clear conscience. Uh, peop, there's people that people that for them Anabaptists or or Mennonites they f- they fled their, their countries mm-hmm. right because they didn't want to fight in wars right. Yeah. And so uh, I think that has to be between you and God. Okay. Right. Let I me- can't tell. I can't tell somebody needs to fight or not. Uh, even for me, I will have to discern. Right? Is this something I'm called to do? Mm-hmm. Right, um, but it, it's 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 such a difficult question. Okay, let me let me give my paradigm, and then you can choose to comment, and we'll close. Okay, so my paradigm is this: I think that God, you know, Scripture talks about God being sovereign. He rules over the nations. He appoints kings, and he tears them down. So it's ultimately God that gives authority to different governments. Right, I think that's why we get in Romans 13. That's why Paul says all authority right, is established or anointed by God, because it's his job to raise them up and to tear them down. But what we also see is that sometimes God will raise up rival governments to tear down a government. He will instigate civil wars. Jehu is the perfect example of this, right? Jehu, God anoints him, and as soon as God anoints him, they blow the trumpet, and boom, he, he wages war against right, the king of Israel. And that's a, that's, that's a civil war. But what we see is that God had decided to tear down Ahab, right, and to give the kingdom to Jehu. And we see this in a number of different places, right? David, that's David too, right? God anoints David. And so sometimes God instigates civil wars, I think. Okay, now to be clear, I am not saying that God is instigating civil war right now. But if we're talking hypotheticals, I think this is why it can be really tricky because I don't think there's an answer of should we always go to war? Well, for sure not. Should we never go to war? I don't think so. I think there are times where the Lord gives authority over a nation to another people. At that time, I think we are authorized to fight in it. The big difficulty is discerning when we have the real authorization of heaven. And I think that's something that it's easy. I think we can all foresee how that can be easy to be presumptuous about. 
right? But I think it's a real thing. Yeah, uh, just I guess last comment on that would be, I, I just don't see a parallel between Israel and America. I think Christian nationalism is thinking that America is a city on a hill, the new Israel. I, the church, I, I believe the church is the new Israel. And so all this government sanctioned war that you see in Israel, I don't see the equating to America because I see America as a secular nation that God can use for, for good. Uh, like any other nation, I see the global church as a new Israel. And so I just don't, don't, I can't make that link. Sure. I'm, I'm not speaking about that as though America is a special nation. This is true for whatever nation you're, you're living in. Okay. Yeah. If you're in Korea, if you're in Germany, whatever, right? Whatever nation you're in, I think God can give the throne of your nation, the rulership of the nation to another government. And you can be put into a situation where you're caught in, up in a civil war, right? And um, the question is, what, what do you do as a believer? And um, I guess my answer would be try to discern where heaven has given the true authority to. I think in America's situation, it's a little bit different in the sense that we have a constitution that actually authorizes the people to rebel against the government in the case that it becomes tyrannical. So here, I'm not speaking primarily as, as though it's our Christian duty to revolt. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our, our duty as Americans and what is sanctioned by the scriptures. Because I think we, we there's an aspect of both, right? We have responsibility as Americans and we have responsibility as Christians. And obviously, mm-hmm. our Christian responsibility takes precedence, right? Is a greater responsibility, but we still do have responsibility as yeah. uh, to yeah. our nations. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think what, what the way I would weigh it is this, um, like you talked about Christ, Christian responsibility and then as a citizen of America, how do I weigh the call for Christian unity and, and being a peacemaker versus what, the, what my government is calling me to do? I think those two, and I, I mean, I'm sure you could figure out like my, when I see my allegiance to Christ being much more towards Christian unity, right? Not, I'm not talking about the world unity, Christian unity. So if I'm fighting against another Christian, right? And if, it, if we do have a civil war, there's going to be Christians on both sides, right? For sure. And so, man, I, I don't know how, what it would be make of that. Right. I mean, how would, how would that be different than like a policeman, right? A policeman who has to go and arrest a Christian, right? Like, I think that that kind of thing happens all the time, right? Well, arresting and and, and murdering are different things, right? Yeah. But potentially that can turn into a a firing situation. Sure. I guess that could be, but I I, I don't think police are, are, are called to, the the primary call should not be to murder. The primary call to should be to protect using non-lethal means, right? War, you're, you're, you're called to kill. Right. Mm-hmm. More likely than not, you're going to die. You're going to murder somebody. Right. And so I, sure. I just don't see the parallel with those two. Yeah. Got it. I, I think I, I'm, I use a different definition of murder. To me, murder is illegal killing, something like that. Right. So killing is not necessarily a sin. And we see lots of people killing right in the Bible. And obviously God kills a lot of people. It's that that is not a sin to kill somebody. It's a sin to kill them illicitly, right? Illegally or wrongfully kill somebody. And that's what I think the scripture defines as murder. OK. Yeah. Well, John, I had a really good time talking with you, man. I know in, uh, part there got a little bit, you know, a little bit dicey, but I'm glad that, you know, we held through and we finished the conversation. And I just want to say, I love you, brother. And um, I know that we can have minor areas of disagreement and that's fine. Like, I, I actually really appreciate being able to talk it through. And I think it's helpful for people to hear, you know, that we as pastors, you know, there are these, these are some of these situations like can I participate in a civil war? This isn't one they really train you at, at seminary. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like, you know, we've, we're trying to figure this out too, but I do think um, that these questions have become more relevant as we go on because we are seeing increasing tension and division in the nation. And we're all praying that it would 
you know, it would reverse course and we'd have increasing unity in the nation. And so I pray that that is so. Um, but if not, I do want to be prepared for, you know, the worst that could happen. Mm. Yeah, I, I appreciate you inviting me to, to this, uh, your podcast. Um, I think we need more of this in, 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 our, in our nation, in our church. Uh, after having talked with you, I know we had some, you know, tense moments. But what I come up with is there's more in common than differences. For sure. I think oftentimes we vilify like different positions or people because there's no dialogue. Once you actually have a dialogue, you realize actually we have much more in common. Sure. We made these labels, right? Where there's left, right, conservative, liberal, that doesn't encompass all of who you are, yeah. right? We're, we're textured, colored people. We're not one-dimensional, right? And when, when it comes to believers and Christians, there's so much more in common than differences. Yeah, and absolutely. so I appreciate being able to, to be here yeah. and, and chat absolutely, with you. Absolutely, man. So. That, just real quick, that reminds me of something my, my wife always says, we're so different, we're so different, right? And I'm like... Babe, come on. We're like ninety-eight percent the same. Right, like we're right. like Korean Americans, but like that's what when you have intimacy with somebody, you see all the differences that come up, and a lot of it is is like that. You know, I would guess. You know, if we put all of our theology together, I'd bet it's like ninety-five percent the same. You know, mm-hmm. like there's way more similar than there is different. So you know, of course we we get mad about that five percent difference sometimes. <laughs> That's been the history of the church, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, brother. I love you. Thanks so much. Um, all right. Let me go ahead and end the recording.